Hi there, Steve Perriman again on the Steve Perriman podcast. This week, joined by no superstars, but uh, Tom and Howard are very, very good workers, consistent players, consistent speakers, and um, we'll leave the superstars to another another week. The way that came about, and I'm saying this as much to Howard as anyone else, we'd sort of decided because of International Week that we wouldn't actually do a podcast, we'd have a bit of a rest. And then Tom mentioned to me a couple of comments or questions that had been asked on Twitter of me. And one of them was, could you explain about Suness and how you reacted to him and you were teammates in the youth team and, and how he left? And then, uh, by coincidence, Graham phoned me on the Saturday, making his way up to Sky TV to do a game. It could have well been Sunday. And uh, I thought it's too good an opportunity. To, so I said to Graham, would you do the podcast for us this week? And he said, yeah, of course I will. So that was the ideal chance for me mm -hmm. to then ask him um, to put his side of things over as per his leaving and then the rest of his career and various thoughts on the game. So very interesting to see a different side of Graham Souness than what we normally see in the pundit uh, capacity on a, on a TV match day. Um, myself and Graham, um, we sort of met each other when we were nobodies, both developing as footballers, and we had nothing, no career even. And then eventually I did my bit and he went and did his. And yet we still deal with each other in a respectful manner as if we've, we were teammates. We are teammates still in a way because we're ex-Spurs players. And um, so I think that's why the podcast came across so natural. And it was it was great to do it. We've missed you, Howard. Trust me. Didn't we, Tom? We did. We did. Oh. We missed you. Oh. But you had an able standing. Able standing, that's for sure. So um, just a bit of background of, of me this week. I've been honoured, actually, to, to be invited on the Alan Hudson um, podcast. Very interesting. He was he was a fantastic midfield player in my younger years. And I think I've said before on this podcast that I had the pleasure to to play in an England midfield under 23s at Newcastle against Scotland. And I was in between Tony Curry and Alan Hudson. And it was a dream. I don't think Scotland touched the ball actually. But, um, you know, bearing in mind when I played with Ozzy and Glenn and Ricky and Mickey Hazard and Martin Peters and Alan Mullery, you know, to, for these two players to have such an effect on me mm. was, was, was quite, quite, yeah, quite, quite amazing. And so it was good to deal with Alan. He's now back living in Chelsea and, um, 
not sure that he gets on so well with his with the club that brought him into the game. But um, he did a great job for Stoke City and eventually went to to um, Arsenal, where he must have played against us a few more times and mm. um, got across to me that he didn't uh, quite get on with Terry Neal as the Arsenal manager by that time. And... Um, but really good, uh, really good to make the link with Alan. And uh, he told me, he reminded me that he played in Glenn's debut, an away match at Stoke, yeah. about the mid-70s, of course. Glenn scored a goal on that day. And, um, and Alan told me that when he went into the, um, to the home team dressing room at the end of the game, he announced to the rest of his teammates... We've seen a player today. And later on in that day, I managed to speak to Glenn about something else. And Glenn said he was extremely good to me, kind to me on my debut. And uh, when I scored the goal, Alan Hudson sort of came up behind him, tapped him on the back and said, well done, son. So, yeah, um, that was good to be on his podcast. The week before I was on Jerry Armstrong's good is in my phone as Jerry Armstrong man because he was one strong man was Jerry and um, great to link up with him again he has not got one nerve in his body there was no errs or ums like I do and you have to put up with from week to week but Jerry just I edit them out Steve oh good man I <laughs> didn't realise that have I owned up to something that I didn't need to you didn't have to didn't have to say a word. No one Absolutely. Name. So um, anyway, so it's been an interesting week um, from that perspective. Um, I should always be promoting my book and I never do at the end of the podcast. I think, why didn't I say I've got a book out? But there you go. Perhaps the soft sell works. So are you OK, chaps? Tom, are you OK? Good. Thank you very much. Yep. Just, Did you uh, um, you watch the the international last night? Did, any comments on that? Yeah, I mean, in, international football doesn't do it for me anything like it it used to. To be honest, I think the last time I really got excited about an England team was um, was under Glenn in '98. I just haven't really felt it since then. But it's always nice to see Harry score for us, even though I don't really like sharing him with uh, with, with other fans. Um, and it was I encouraging. You said you don't like sharing him. Sharing him. Oh, no, I love sharing him. I love sharing him. I don't like sharing him. Sharing uh, him. <laughs> didn't like sharing him either. I didn't like sharing <laughs> with Man United when he went off there. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, the encouraging thing from from my perspective was that it only took ITV commentators half an hour to try and sell um, Kane to Manchester City, unlike uh, Sky with their, you know, getting, getting, Const- getting it in early. Constant. Constant. Exactly. Pushing him out as such. Yeah. Exactly. So, uh yeah, it was not. It was very good of them to wait for for, yeah. for for at least half an hour. How did you watch that game on TV? Uh, did I watch it? I saw a little bit of the first half and half the second half, I guess. Yeah, and I, I feel like Tom doesn't. I think most supporters these days do not think of England particularly. They're much more concerned with their their players not getting injured. Yeah, yeah, and I suppose we'll know by the team selection at the weekend who's come back. Yeah. Well, who hasn't travelled well, who's got slight knocks and not going to be wrist and all that stuff. But, so um, I do think they've got some good players now, England. Foden and uh, Mount. Uh, 
going to be going to be top midfield players. Absolutely. Who is Calvin Phillips? Who does he play for? Yeah, yeah. I, well, I think I know that he plays for Leeds, and um, but he's sort of come from nowhere, hasn't he, onto mm. the international scene? And and uh, there's also been one or two sort of rumblings about the under twenty ones not qualifying, etc., yeah. and possible change. Change of manager, impossible job he called it. Yeah, yeah. Which I, I sort of understand the thinking that if you do things right and get them elevated up to the top team quickly, it should weaken your team. Yeah. But actually, there's enough good young players in England. Yeah, it is. Should... A, it it is a paradoxical kind of thing you're trying to achieve, though, isn't it? Like you say, you're trying to get these players good enough for the senior team, yeah. and then you and then if you do, you then lose them. Yeah. Um, so I, I do know what he means, but I also think, like you say, there's a lot of talent there. There is a lot of there's a talent pool that he can pull on. And um, anyway, let's let's see. And I think Tom, you had a comment about uh, a mistake of a Manchester City player during the international that you wouldn't mind seeing. Well, yeah. I mean, I hoped Stones would save what he did last night for for a certain game. Uh, later this month at Wembley, but um, he does he does have it in his locker to, to to occasionally do that kind of thing. He hasn't done it for a while, and now I've said that he's going to have the game of his life and uh, yeah. you know block us out for the entire match. But um, he can he can look a bit casual, can't he? Which he I suppose can. is very good player though. Part of playing in a very good team, a good footballing team, and and I suppose you get lured into a certain type of. Not inertia. It's not that, but it's it's, one of the, a, it's a casualness. Yeah, one of the mm. one of the commentators last night. It might have been Ashley Cole or Ian Wright. I can't remember, but said they thought he got bored, and he was just bored, and and <laughs> and, and, and switched off. Oh, that's... And, and yeah, it was it was at the beginning of that half that Poland began to press, and and they really put him under pressure for a bit, and maybe he just hadn't been experiencing that, wasn't prepared for it. Like you say, probably doesn't get it much at club level. Um, sure. But um, he certainly didn't re- react well to it in that in that instance for the goal. So maybe mm. if we I can saw, do something. I saw some criticism of Pope, um, yeah. the way he passed him the ball. Was that right, Howard? Was it a, yeah. a sort of a sloppiness in it? Sloppy and too hard. Was it? Yeah. Was it? Okay. Well, us experts here who never made a mistake on the Absolutely. pitch, not even watching, did we make a mistake? Um, you know, perhaps they should listen to us a bit more. Howard, so welcome back after your week's you. rest. And uh, you're going to give us some some details about players that uh, graced the famous white shirt of Tottenham Hotspur and the black and white stripes of Newcastle United. So far away. I was looking through these, looking up information about uh, players who played for both clubs. And there's been quite a lot of transfer activity between the two clubs, but actually there are four players who stand out above all the others who play, who bought Tottenham bought from Newcastle and all of whom did very, very well for us and uh, popping the fingers. The first one of which is Les Ferdinand, known as Sir Les due to his grace and elegance as a player. He moved from Newcastle to Tottenham in August 97 for the then huge price of six million. Spurs were his boyhood team, but his start at Tottenham following the same trajectory of his past career, Les getting injured too often and not having time to develop with the rest of the team. Nonetheless, under Glenn, Spurs got to the League Cup final against Blackburn 
It was played at Cardiff because Wembley was still under redevelopment. Glenn's plan for Tottenham was for his team to include a lot of experienced players, get into Europe by virtue of winning, winning the League Cup, and then he would start to build, bringing in younger and higher quality players. In the event, Brad Friedel, who would later come to Spurs, played in goal for Blackburn that day and made three incredible saves. Spurs lost 2-1, which derailed Glenn's plan, and Glenn himself was gone soon after. Ah. So my next choice is Chris Waddle. Chris Waddle famously worked in a sausage factory before turning pro. More unusual, perhaps, was that he made a hit single, Diamond Lights, with Glenn Hoddle. It was no surprise that there wasn't a follow-up. In 98... Not, not such a big hit, then. No. But there was a follow-up, wasn't there? It's goodbye. I think there was, actually. But, yeah, it didn't do so well. No. In 1985, he joined Tottenham, but in his first season, he struggled badly, with the fans getting on his back and calling for our young players, Richard Cook or Ali Dick, to come in in his place. Eventually, he got his confidence back and was a superb player for the Spurs until he left in 1989. He won an FA Cup runners-up medal following our sad defeat by Coventry in '87. He was a regular for England during his time at Tottenham. He's also unfortunately remembered for the penalty he missed in the World Cup semi-final in 1990 against Germany. Nowadays, he's often a pundit on TV, sometimes sometimes even operating without an interpreter. <laughs> for our Newcastle <laughs> listeners, that is that pun. My next choice, number three, number two, is David Ginola. Yes, he was worth it. The ever-stylish French winger who joined us from Newcastle in 97 played an integral part in keeping us up that season. He also won a League Cup winners medal in 99 when we beat Leicester 1-0 in the final. He was a joy to behold for the fans as he would often start from very deep and then beat most of the opposition a few times before shooting. His goal tally wasn't bad. The team was at this time managed by, and it's at this point that I feel so cheesy and upset, George Graham. He was the epitome of everything we hated. Not just that he had played for and managed Arsenal, but his style of football was awful. There was no way a player of flair and a subtlety would fit into a George Graham team. During our League Cup final, Graham even took Ginola off very early and, of course, inevitably, Ginola and his beautiful head of hair left us at the end of the season. He was a regular player for the French national team until their World Cup qualifier versus Bulgaria. Towards the end of the game... All France needed was a draw to qualify for the, for the World Cup. As the game entered the second minute of added time, and with the score still 1-0, France won a free kick. With the score at 1-0 and the clock ticking away, instead of sending the ball towards the corner to be safe, Ginola played the free kick into the Bulgarian area. The ball was hoofed up to the Bulgarian striker, who scored, and France were out. The French manager that night was the late Gerard Houllier, and he publicly accused Ginola of murdering French football. David's outstanding time at Spurs, 98-99, voted Player of the Year. He occasionally does some punditry, and for sure, he was and is worth it. Viv adores me, adores him, and insisted on that being in, in bold letters. <laughs> this leads well me done, on Viv. my fourth and last choice of player, the irrepressible and irresistible Paul Gascoigne. Gazza, as he is known, joined Spurs in 88 and made an immediate impact. Gaza, 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 Gaza. The England manager, Bobby Robson, was reluctant to pick him, but his talent and personality made it impossible to leave him out. So Gaza became a fixture in the other side and the England side as England progressed towards the World Cup semi-final. 
where we met our old adversaries, Germany. In a truly great match, Gaza dived into a tackle. As he got up, he saw the referee reach for a yellow card. As he'd been booked earlier in the tournament, this meant that if England did make it to the final, he would miss it. Tears rolled up in his eyes and the whole nation fell under his spell. In this famous footage, you can see Gary Lineker warning the management to keep an eye on him. In the event, as we all know, England lost on penalties. Gaza, though, was named BBC Sports Personality of the Year. The following season after the World Cup saw him practically single-handedly drag Spurs to the FA Cup semi-final, where we would meet Arsenal. The build-up to this momentous game, christened by me as Armageddon, could not have been more different. Arsenal were well on their way to a League and Cup double, while Spurs had terrible problems off the field with debts threatening to bring down the whole club. And by the by, the amounts we were talking about wouldn't now, wouldn't now buy you a half-decent premiership player. After the quarter-final, it was discovered that Gaza had a hernia. This type of injury would normally take about six weeks to heal, followed by a few weeks to get fit. There was less than five weeks to the semi-final. The medical and fitness people worked tirelessly and it started to seem that he might make the bench. Come the Sunday morning of the match and the team is announced. Gaza starts. Just five minutes in, Spurs get a free kick halfway between the penalty area and the centre circle. Unbelievably, Gaza shot from this distance and beats Seaman all ends up. This is one of the greatest goals scored in memory history. We got two more goals from Gary Lineker that left Arsenal with just a consolation of an Alan Smith-headed goal. Spurs were in the final and our fans were singing, Where's your double gone? Where's your double gone? Over and over. Great fun. In the final, a few weeks later, you could see how overexcited Gaza was. Fifteen minutes in, he jumped in high waist, waist high on a forest player. Both players fell to the ground. To be honest, Gaza could easily have been given a red card. From the resultant free kick, Stuart Pearce scored. Gaza stood up, but as soon as the kickoff was taken, he collapsed and was stretched off. And so ended his career at Tottenham. Bobby Robson said that Gaza was as daft as a brush, which was certainly true. But what a talented and passionate brush to have in your team. Absolutely. Uh, if I can just pass some comment on those players, Howard. Sure, um, please do. Les Ferdinand um, was playing for Southall, which was very close to where yeah. I had our, we had our shops. Then got transferred to Hayes, which was even closer to where I'm from. And I'm now manager of uh, Brentford and agreed a deal with Hayes chairman uh, for £10,000. And anyway, I lost out on him to QPR. And exactly what you said, Howard, was never fit. You know, I was watching everything that moved at QPR at the time, you know, for players, possible players that they released. And he just never played. And if he did play, he came off injured. And it was like always a bad back. Um, then eventually we took him on loan. And um, there was a bit of skullduggery with that. And it ends up I'm in Cyprus on holiday. And I get a phone call from a good friend of mine, Alf Darcy, who was asking me that uh, Gordon Milne was wanting a young, quick centre forward that could jump and be good in the air and I said Alf I don't know why I'm giving you this name but I'm going to say Les Ferdinand at QPR he, I, you're probably not going to like it and like the fact that I've recommended him because he's always injured anyway he did go to Turkey where Gordon Milne was, was um, 
managing. Helped them win the double. I think he finished up top goal scorer that year. And did enough for Jerry Francis to take him back to QPR when his time was up. So, you know, the warm weather meant he didn't get so many injuries. And the, the change in fortune of his game, I think, was probably getting away from, you know, the people that surrounded him in, in West London. And, you know, he was virtually there on his own and just getting on with playing football. And guess what? He had a bit more focus and therefore did everything that we knew he was capable of. Quick, could jump, could leap, could head it for his life. And um, anyway, so that was the sort of turn of, of him. I played in Chrissy Waddle's first year when he signed. And as you said, Howard, it was a disappointing time for him. Peter Shreves at one point told me to just concentrate on Chrissy. Try and tell him everything you think he should do. And um, with regard to the crowd's reaction to him, I think that when a player is having a bad time, the last thing you need to do is show a bad sort of body language. And Chrissy had the same body language mm. as when he was playing yeah. poorly or top of the world. So it actually didn't affect his game, but it affected what people thought of him. And therefore, um, you know, he, he took a bit longer to settle in with the crowd reaction and stuff. And then I, I left, which is probably why he improved. because He didn't have me <laughs> down his neck every game. And um, so, yeah, Gaza is just Gaza. And I could tell you some funny stories about Gaza, but you've heard everything there is to say about him. And Ginola, um, nothing to say other than I'm styling my new hairstyle on him. I'm trying to be appealing to the to the ladies as he was, but um, I'm not sure it's working as such. So, so yeah. So um, a bit more back to current day life. I'm going to tell you this. Bearing in mind, this is we're recording this on April the first. But despite what I'm going to tell you, this is not a April Fool's story. Uh, the other night, so two nights ago, I'm in bed and I'm dreaming football. I have not got kit on. I'm not on a pitch. And for some reason, I'm in an alleyway. And it's sort of like old-fashioned alleyway. And I'm trying to control this ball and somebody's behind me pushing me in the back, making it difficult for me. And eventually my legs go under me and I fall backwards in my dream. So now the dream meets reality because I woke up at five o'clock in the morning, having fallen on the floor backwards. I hit my head on the drawers of the cabinet next to the bed so my wife has jumped up out of bed because of the noise and she's sort of panicking that I'm, I'm injured and stuff. And, and actually, it could have been much worse than what it was. So if anyone's looking at the film, I've got two knocks on the side of me. And I always think about uh, Popeye when, when you think about someone hitting their head, you know, when the thing's coming out the top of his head. Well, I've got it here. So another reason for having long hair. And it maybe saved me some damage. So um, 
and I wrote a message to, actually to you two chaps and to the family. And I said, and the most disappointing thing of all, I lost possession of the ball. <laughs> so, so yeah. Um, spoken about the podcast that I've done this week. Um, I had to wish a few people a uh, happy birthday. Chick, who's 85 years old, Spurs season ticket holder. So Gary Mabbott does it on the phone. I'm doing it on the video podcast. Uh, to wish these people a uh, happy birthday. Also spoke to a very nice gentleman called Raj Bizram. And for you people out there that, that follow antiques, might know that name. I'm sure you do know the name, actually, if you look him up and see his picture. Ra Raj is actually a, a Spurs supporter, 65 years old this week. And so I welcomed him to Old Manhood. And um, but it was great to talk to and, and um, uh, we got on well and he was he was delighted that I phoned. Um, so, yeah, uh, next week we have Manchester United, of course. So that's one to look forward to. Hopefully we can get the win this weekend against Newcastle. And uh, not really a football matter, but I'd like to mention the name of. Amy Winehouse, uh, who I heard on the radio the other day, has been has left us about 10 years ago. And where's that 10 years gone? Um, her father, Mitch, um, is a Spurs supporter, season ticket holder for many years. And he's friendly with a good friend of mine, Barry Chaveau. And therefore, I got invited with my wife to see Amy in concert in the BBC Shepherd's Bush studio. And she was three quarters an hour late on stage and the, the crowd started to get a bit restless. And so Mitch, her father, got up on stage and explained to the audience that she'd left her favorite earrings at home and wouldn't really want to perform without these earrings on. And therefore, she'll be, you know, another five or 10 minutes. Please be patient. And that settled everyone down. And eventually, Amy gave a great concert. I was so impressed. It was, I'm not really a, a music man. But, um, yeah, the, the, the earring certainly worked well on her performance. And uh, got invited afterwards to a, to a room upstairs, Met some interesting people, in, including Dave Clark of the Dave Clark Five, who we all know is a Spurs supporter. Yeah, uh, and, and before. yeah, yeah, we saw him at his um, what was it called? Time, time, yeah, the musical time that he he wrote, etc. That's right. So, so um, was I glad all over? Yes, I was to meet him, and. Um, yeah, so interesting times. Paul Weller, Weller was up in that same same sort of reception, and and uh, because of her father, Amy came over and, and said virtually hello to, to myself and my wife, which was great. And didn't expect any more, but um, so yeah, um, I'd just like to pay her the respect because what a what a music lady she was, and to her father. I don't know her mother, otherwise I'd mention her. Um, also, I saw the Jack Charlton documentary this week, which uh, I found fascinating. The 
the way that the effect that this man had on Irish football mm. and uh, the way that he carried himself and, and stuck to his principles. And I think his notes, if you saw the program, said, be, an, be a dictator, but be a nice dictator. And how he got all those people together, there's nothing like teamwork. I'm always stressing that to every time I speak football. Teamwork is everything for me. If you've got 11 pulling in the same direction, of course, you go to a World Cup or to a Euros, it's more than 11 together. It's probably 22 together. Um, and that's the only way that you'll, you'll be successful. So I just didn't quite appreciate how they made a lot of the sort of gap between Jack and Bobby Charlton. Mm. Um, I don't think that was necessary on such a program when, when in praise of Jack, this program was, but, um, but yeah, you can't have it always. Just a note for your diaries. I've also read up that we are on May the 6th this year will be the 60th anniversary of the famous double team win uh what a great time for all us spurs people even for me before i know i knew that i was a spurs person that's that's a a wonderful occasion to think about and um and yeah we'll have to do something special for that howard mm -hmm. and um maybe i can find someone from the double team to come and talk to us as well which would be great um, Terry Dyson is still around, isn't he? So, so yeah, it'd be great to hear his version of that great team and wonderful group of men. And if ever there was a group together representing Spurs, that was it, that double team led by the, the great man himself. So, so thank you for listening. Sorry that I haven't had too much to say about um, Newcastle, but you know what? I think I said a few weeks ago, I'm not superstitious, but when we beat Aston Villa in our last league game, I actually kept that to a minimum of me talking about that, that particular game as well from the past. So I'm doing it again today in hope of a win. Thank you, Howard. Uh, Howard and Viv, by the way, have just had their jab. So um, he's a bit more sprightly. He's a bit more sprightly than ever, Howard. And... Um, and yeah, let, let Vivian know that we were talking about David Ginola. She'll, she'll like that mention. And you, Tom, thanks very much. And um, come on, you Spurs, and we'll see you next week. Mm -hmm.